Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to TechNado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam. I'm joined, as always, by Don Pizzette. Don, how's it going up there? It is going great. We are entering the holiday season, which, uh, oddly enough, makes for great tech news. We had a ton of really cool things happen this week, so we've got a lot to talk about. I'm very excited. Yeah, a lot of people hacking, like Toys for Tots and things like that, so we've got some great news to get to. Uh, and we're we're also joined today by Mr. Ronnie Wong, who's filling in for Daniel. How you doing, Ronnie? I'm doing great. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, thanks for uh, calling me here in, at the last moment when you know Daniel couldn't show up. You know, it's could. very hard to find somebody who can fill Daniel's shoes. Um, I still can't. Size fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, no. laughs> but Ronnie is, has been sitting just outside this room every episode we film, waiting for someone to not be here. And, uh, yeah. and yeah, it lucky happened. day. That's He's right. kind of Daniel's understudy when you think about it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Route. All right, and we are joined uh, today also by IT Pro TV's newest edutainer, Chris Ward. Chris, how's it going? Uh, doing well, guys. Uh, good to see that you guys are up and running out there in the East Coast. And yeah, you're you're in the the West somewhere. I, yeah, we're uh, up in the mountains uh, north of Phoenix in Arizona. So yeah, uh, you made me think of one of those psychics there from a, like a, I I'm, I'm picking up a. Do you have a relative? <laughs> yeah. Their name starts with maybe a. Yeah. Is it a T? Oh, I mean a P. P. Arizona. You're somewhere not in Florida. Somewhere I'm not sure. Yeah, because you look you know happy and you know well adjusted, and you're not on meth. So those are the. Yeah, you're not. Pupils aren't dilated. Well, let's get to know a little bit more about you, Chris, in our first segment, Rapid Fire Questions. Uh, Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? You know, Justin was way better at the Rapid Fire Questioning (laughs) show than I am. One job. (laughs) One job. All right, Chris. Definitely a lot So what we are going to do is dive into our rapid fire questions. We get a series of questions we're going to throw at you. You have one minute to answer the question if you take too long. Peter will break out the buzzer just like that. Oh, there we go. It takes a second. There's a delay on that there one. There we go. So uh, so you will get buzzed, and uh, we'll move on to the next question. So we'll kick it off with Peter. Well, first of all, Chris, let me be the last to welcome you um, to IT Pro TV. I don't know if I actually saw you when you were here in the office uh, initially. but Very stealthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but just to start off, what are, what are your areas of expertise? What are you going to be teaching here at IT Pro TV? Well, uh, I'm basically all into the IT service management, uh, business skills, uh, project management uh, are kind of the, the big the big areas that I'm going to be covering uh, over the next few courses and everything that we're creating there. And that's kind of my area of, I would say, specialty and some of the certifications and the things that I have and what I've really kind of spent the last, oh, I would say about uh, 10 years really concentrating pretty heavily in in those areas versus trying to be a jack of all trades, master of none with all the different techs that were out there and Cisco and Microsoft and VMware and all that kind of stuff. Now, Chris, I know you and I have a fairly similar technical background, but you switched kind of midstream in your career over to, you mentioned service management, project management. So 
So at some point you decided you wanted to specialize in destroying fun. And so I'm curious, how, how did you, how did you reach that point? Like what Who hurt what, you? What, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. And it's, what it's funny to hurt you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, it's a horrible thing. Right. Uh, you know, part of it was that I was so heavily involved with, you know, the Cisco and the wireless and the, you know, developing training and working with that area. And I kind of hit a, a, a part where, the the people that I was working with, they were always like, I can't keep up with this. I, I don't even know how to use this. What? How does this make my business any better? And I saw a lot of the, I would say the management and, and the, you know, the organizational head leaders were just kind of struggling with, well, what does this mean that the technology is moving at the, you know, we kiddingly say that at the speed of tech. And so I just found with the, the projects that I was working on and developing all these things, that having those light bulb moments in those areas also kept me from having to take certification tests every, you know, I, I know that, that, that sounds <laughs> like, you know, I'm just whiny and lazy, but yeah, I am just a little bit, uh, just uh, <laughs> so many. I mean, you know, Don, just to keep your and maintain your Cisco certifications alone. Every two take, years. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. It's just so, it's horrible. So um, I still kind of keep that background and I still kind of keep up on it, but that deep dive into the technology, I just, I just found that it was, uh, it was kind of pulling me away from one area. And I, I think that's a, something important for all of us is to kind of, it's not that you can't know about a lot of different things, but find that one thing that you really shine in and that really just kind of gets you up every morning and IT service management managed to be that for me. I'm still looking for mine. All there right, Chris. How did, uh, what is it that led you into the IT training world though, and ITIL? Well, I, I started off in uh, broadcasting. So I was in television and radio. I was an operations manager at uh, several stations and, and both in radio and television. Um, did on-air talent, but of course you, you kind of had to be hip and up and on the latest technology. Grew up in a family surrounded by technology. My dad was a chief petty officer in the Navy. He was a trainer at uh Great Lakes, as well as at the Naval Academy, which is where I was born. And so my first computer was, uh, you know, a Tandy Radio Shack Trash 80. So I learned programming. And so I always had technology. And so when broadcasting was moving into that world of, you know, nonlinear editing, you know, digital automation and all that, I was the kid that was making sure it all worked, but I couldn't be the only one. So I would teach people how to do it and had a lot of light bulb moments. And that was when I said, boy, I really like seeing that happen. And someone goes, oh, I get it. Oh, that's cool. And so that kind of kicked me off from the wonderful world of broadcasting where you can lose your job just because management changes into something that as a young father, I felt like I needed to be a little bit more stable and uh, got a job at one of the very first uh, live virtual training companies back in the year with one of our fellow edutainers, Anthony Sequera. You're, you're very new here. You can lose your job just on a whim here no. as well. I don't know if that hasn't, it wasn't part of the orientation, I guess. But uh, so my last question, uh, you've got, uh, I heard HIV, or HBIT coming up and, and that's yes. one of those new acronyms I've, I've heard, but I don't really know much about it. So can you tell us just a little, a little bit about what that is? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, ITIL, um, you know, the IT infrastructure library or ITIL, uh, IT service management framework has always been popular and been useful because it looks at how technology and how people use technology changes and, you know, tracks with that. And of course, with the world of, uh, we would call digital transformation, where a lot of companies that 
yeah, they have a little bit of software here, a little bit of things here and there, but now they're going all in it to win AI, big data, all those kind of <laughs> things. And so uh, we have high velocity IT, so high velocity information technology. And so that's one of the specialist certifications that you can get once you get your foundation level ITIL, you can then move up and you can have that high velocity uh, and then maybe that's the type of organization you're working with, or maybe you're trying to get into the realm of, you know, picking the right valuable investments. Do you go in all pure cloud? Do you go, you know, is AI something that you want to use? Machine learning, you know, neural networks. I mean, some of this thing sounds like, well, we all have to do it. Well, maybe, maybe not. And so high velocity IT kind of helps organizations see where they could go. And now we know, and knowing. And now you know. <laughs> That's right. That's I said, I'm going to use my buzzer on somebody because it's it's you know somebody internal, so I don't really feel bad buzzing that person. And, <laughs> and he just drove right through it. So. I had four seconds. I had four seconds. Oh well. It was it was like at the Oscars, you know, when they start playing the music and the person they ignores don't it. Care. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Yeah. It, he's just talking louder now. Right. I'm going louder. Yeah, exactly. Well. I figured uh, someone that's been in IT uh, for as long as you have in, in the different areas, you probably have some uh, some good stories. So today we're going to talk about your worst IT nightmare. Worst IT nightmares. As long as I get to use that voice. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you I, have to do the whole I thing in that voice. So I'm, I I don't know the story ahead of time, but all yep. I know is that it, it involves an explosion. So this, <laughs> I have to hear what okay, the heck Okay, so, happened. you know, I mentioned I was as an operations manager for a radio station group, uh, you know, this is right around uh, 1998, actually. And so we had uh, digital satellite systems and recording systems uh, running, we're running, you know, it's scary now these days, but, uh, you know, Windows over Novell networks and having everything talk to each other. And so as the operations manager, I was also the morning show host. And so my overnight guy paged me, yes, pagers back then. Wow. Uh, and so I pulled over to the side of the rub, grabbed the phone and gave him a call. And he says, boss, he goes, I don't know what's going on. He goes, I heard this big boom. And then all the lights went out. <laughs> and I said, boom. And he goes, yeah. He goes, just only the emergency kicked on. I got no power. There so I is. said, number one, yeah. <laughs> get out of the building, you know, is there smoke? I mean, what's going on? So I show up and uh, the main transformer in the basement of our building was a, kind of a brand new building in uh, down in Phoenix area, had blown its main primary fuse. And when I say blown, unfortunately, the gentleman that was working on it got blown through a cinder block wall. It started fire. It was, well, I feel really bad about using that uh, sound effect. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just, I didn't know yeah. there were casualties. And uh, it was just one of those t times when I'm like, all right, sounds good. And that's when I realized, you know, being the operations manager and in IT management is I had no disaster recovery. Because uh -huh. the building manager told me we don't have generators. And I said, you do realize how radio stations make money, right? We have to be on the air. That's how we get our you know, advertisers. And I go, when will you be back? Give us power. And he says, well, we've got a big transformer coming from LA. It'll be here in 36 hours. Mm. That's no, so yeah. I took a uh, home Depot generator up the back stairs <laughs> and put it out on the balcony. And I ran a radio station for almost 48 hours on cans of gas wow. being poured in. Don't do that at home kids. 
Now, I thought that uh, if what I recall from from college and some telecommunications classes is that, you know, to get a license from the FCC, you, you're actually having to do a certain amount of public service, one of those being available at all times for if there are disasters <laughs> or news like that. So I'm surprised that the, so there were no rules in place that you had to have some kind of redundancy. Yeah, the re well, see, that was the thing is, you know, all these big FCC rules and the redundancies that you need to have place. Our transmitter had redundancies. Our studio to transmitter link had redundancies. <laughs> my digital radio satellite recording systems, all my gear in my building did not. Mm. So that's what I say. A, a microphone just right into the antenna. Oh, you know, actually, that was, believe it or not, that was brought up. At <laughs> oh, who can sing? Come on. <laughs> We're broadcasting live in the middle of nowhere, literally. So. What, kind, what kind of station was this? Uh, it was an uh, AM station. It was a oh, so uh, no one was listening. A, uh, kind of a oh, talk, talk format, sports format. So, uh, yeah. We we already we were losing ten grand an hour. Oh, wow! Gosh. Holy cow! It's always kind of neat when you can quantify yeah. the loss of downtime. I know Amazon did that the other year, and they said that like if they were offline, they would lose a million dollars an hour. Oh, with their website, oh. not and, with yeah, AWS. with their website, because okay. that that was their only outlet at the time. I think it's changed now, but companies can yeah. lose a lot of money with downtime. Yeah, and that's part of the the you know kind of the worst IT story is, and part of what we teach in ITIL is that. Hey, uh, continuity, disaster recovery, having fault tolerance in place, you know, high availability, those things will, you know, you know, it's better as, as my grandfather used to say, you can pay me now or pay me later. If you pay me later, it's going to cost you a heck of a lot more. Yeah. And, and an, another lesson I think there is call the fire department first and then the <laughs> operations manager. The fact that he was calling, he was calling me on his cell phone in the dark because, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning, you know, in Arizona and he's just, Kind of like there's something going wrong. I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're under attack. This is it. <laughs> this is right after Red Dawn came out. The aliens have blocked the signal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it could be War of the Worlds. Well, that that might be the uh, the best worst IT story or worst IT nightmare that we've had yet. So thank you for sharing that, and I think we can all learn from that. Do we have a transformer anywhere in the building that I should avoid? Uh, outside, yeah. not inside. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Who puts that inside? That's not good. Apparently, radio now, stations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, large office buildings. A uh, little quick side note, because I know we're, we have a little news item on Apple. Uh, Apple's offices in Phoenix were in our building. Yeah. So, guess what happened after they got the transformer put in? They moved. Generators. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. Smart. Smart. They took your Home Depot generator and used that as the backup. Yeah. That's <laughs> That's well, their their budget was their budget was slightly bigger oh, than mine. Okay. I think they had a little bit better. Ones, well, so. That's ridiculous. All right. Well, normally this is the part where we talk about what's coming up for you, but I I think we we kind of covered that. Or is, is HVIT the next next thing you're filming, or or what's next yeah. for you here? Yeah, we're uh, uh, Zach and I are uh, neck deep in uh, about almost almost halfway through HVIT. After that, we will have drive stakeholder value, and then. Um, somewhere along the lines, we have a new PMP, Project Management mm. Professional Exam, is updating. So we're going to be taking a crack at getting that ready for all of our members. Perfect. So if Excellent. you're an IT Pro TV member, go ahead and check that stuff out in the course library uh, as it's populating in there. And if you're not yet, what's wrong with you? Uh, head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado and find out all about that. But we're going to take a quick break. And uh, Chris, do you mind sticking around with us for the news today? Absolutely. All right, let's do that. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this word on Technado with Don Bissett.
This is Kevin. He's studying online for a Microsoft certification and using another online IT training service. He's also on his second pot of coffee today to stay awake. And this is Kyle. He's also studying Microsoft but using IT Pro TV. Rather than watching a boring voiceover PowerPoint, he's actually enjoying the training with two hosts in an interactive format. Both Kevin and Kyle have access to virtual labs and practice tests, but Kyle can also get help through a live chat with other IT Pro TV members and his instructors, as well as post to a Q&A forum. He can even search for exactly what he's looking for in the interactive video transcripts, all while paying less than Kevin. Oh, and Kyle can also watch in comfort via Roku app. Kevin and Kyle are both learning IT, but Kyle is enjoying the journey. Want to be more like Kyle? Here the plans to start your IT Pro TV membership today. Welcome back to TechNado with Don Pazette, and we are joined by Chris Ward today, who is the newest edutainer here at IT Pro TV, doing all of our ITIL service management stuff. So, uh, thank you for joining us again. But we've got a lot of news, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in with our first article, which is over at Tom'sHardware.com. Apple announces first computers with M1 processors. MacBook Air, 13-inch MacBook Pro, and Mac Mini get those ARM-based processors. So are these the ones, Don, that we've talked about that they're building in-house, the Apple Silicon, basically? Yes, yeah. So we, we've talked about this a few times, that Apple has uh, developed their own processor. It is completely in-house built, but it is using the licensed instruction set from ARM. So it's okay. considered an ARM processor, even though it's not technically ARM hardware behind the scenes. Mac OS has been ported over to it. Mac OS Big Sur has rolled out as well. So that one is uh, Mac OS 11 is live and out there. And if you ordered a, uh, a MacBook or a Mac mini with the new M1 processor, by the time you hear this podcast, you might actually be receiving it. Many people have gotten their hands on the units. And one thing I talked about the other week, and the reason I wanted to talk about it again, is everyone was debating over whether or not these processors would actually be faster. ARM processors are traditionally more energy efficient, but slower than like our Intel i5s, i7s, things like that. Well, the initial benchmarks are out, and it looks like the M1s are killing it, that their single core performance is beyond anything else that's on the market right now. So it looks like Apple pulled it off. Uh, you know, if you had doubts on them having that performance, it's there. These new processors are really kicking some butt. There are some growing pains going on right now that people are finding out really quick. Anything dealing with virtualization likely will not work right on the new uh, M1 processors. So if you rely on Docker as part of your workflow, or if you use VMware Fusion, even Parallels, those don't work right right now. They're having to be converted and ported over. Uh, they can run in an emulated mode, but they don't work so well, especially Docker, because technically you're doing nested virtualization at that point, and performance is garbage in those <laughs> scenarios. But everything else, even running like the x86 version of Office, it takes a, an extra long time to boot the first time, but after that, it launches and runs, and you wouldn't even know you were running on a different processor. It's really amazing. Huge amount of potential in these processors. It's it's pretty exciting. And 20 hours battery life is what they're saying. That's up what to, they say. Up to 20 hours. Probably not when you're running things uh, that fast. Maybe if you just have the screensaver going or something, I would think. So, yeah. Don, with this, uh, what about the compatibility like with different applications? Uh, are we starting to see where there's going to be more, or have you heard if there's going to be more applications that can be ported over so that they can be compatible? So it's funny, Apple did two things. So one good, one bad. On the good side, they built an emulation layer in. So when you run x86 and, and other type of applications, they are actually able to be executed on top of this. So we're seeing great compatibility. Great. Uh, some applications, like uh, Adobe Creative Suite, there's not a native version for ARM yet, so that doesn't work. 
But if you run it, it will actually uh, optimize it and prepare it to run in the emulation layer, and it seems to run pretty well. People are, are giving good good reports on it. Now, on the negative side, they did change some of the security interfaces to macOS, and it is breaking a lot of applications. So especially if you use third-party antivirus or firewalling-type software, uh, Little Snitch is a popular software package people use to monitor traffic going out of your Mac. Uh, a lot of those applications are broken under macOS Big Sur because of some changes under the hood. That's not due to the M1 processor. That's due to changes they actually made to macOS. So even if you're running Big Sur on an Intel processor, you're still going to have some of those problems. So definitely be aware it's not a pain-free upgrade. So you heard it here first. Turn off your antivirus. Um, <laughs> definitely get rid of that. Running this new computer. So d does this only run on Big Sur? Is that that why that release was kind of oh, yeah. at the same time? Yeah. If you yeah. have a Mac with an M1 processor, it has to run Big Sur. It can't run any previous version of macOS. All right. So uh, I know you know Ronnie's always been on a Mac as long as I've known him. Uh, and, and Don, but uh, Chris, what are you running over there? I'm assuming based on the fact that you enjoy ITIL uh, that it's it's Windows. <laughs> yeah, you know, that would be a uh, wrong assumption. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm, I'm both. I'm, I like to play both sides. So, uh, but yeah, the, the, the Mac that, that I currently have was the, you know, the, the previous uh, model year. And one of the things that they were talking about was, you know, do you want to wait for that? And in fact, I had a, a company that was just about ready to, get ready to put a whole bunch of money into their creative department and they were like hey we hear about this you know single system on a chip and oh my gosh it's going to be the greatest thing ever and i said ah, you, i think you might want to hold off on you know putting all your eggs in one basket on something like that um but uh, it sounds like they're doing you know the typical thing anytime we roll out new technology right it's just always that those first hurdles that we have to get over and but it looks like it has a, a, a good head start though and it's like this in other industries too, right? Like the, the first year model of a new car. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, my, that's one of the things my dad told me. Never buy the first <laughs> year that comes out. Wait. And, and it's kind of the same thing. Like don't download Big Sur the first day, which kind of leads into our next story there. Or did you have some more? Yeah, no, that kind of builds onto it. So uh, people were excited to get Big Sur, as they, they always are. When a new version of macOS comes out, there's usually a big rush to do the upgrades. People will manually upgrade, but the automatic upgrades kick in too. Apple got overwhelmed, which was pretty expected, right? So that, that's kind of normal. That happens. But this year, we got to see a little pain centered around some of their security practices. Uh, one feature built into macOS is called Gatekeeper. Whenever you run an application, it checks to see if the application is digitally signed and if it is notarized by an authorized Apple developer, somebody with, that's part of the developer program. And that way they can try and check for malicious apps or apps that have been modified since they were distributed from the original author. So that's a good system. It protects your data. However, when Apple servers started to get overwhelmed, people would try and run apps. And when their Mac would try and check in with Gatekeeper to find out if it was okay, Apple servers weren't responding. And there was a period of several hours where many people could not launch apps on their Mac. And I'm not saying on their M1 brand new right. Mac. I mean, you Everything. might have a 10-year-old MacBook that's uh, running you know, Mavericks or, or some older version of Mac OS. Oh, so this is not just the people that had upgraded to no. Big Sur. Right. Uh, Anybody with Gatekeeper enabled it. And Gatekeeper, I believe, was introduced in Mavericks. I could be wrong on that, but it is, it's definitely been around several different versions. And uh, so that was one big concern was, hey, if Apple gets denial of service and their Gatekeeper service gets down, it, it could it could basically deny service to all the MacBooks that are out there, all the, the Macs in general. But it also created some privacy concerns. A lot of people started thinking, wait a minute, 
does this mean every time I run an app, a message is sent to Apple and they know about it? So Apple knows what apps I ran right. and when I ran them and where I was at when I ran them because the IP address has to be used. So some big privacy concerns came out. So Apple, they pushed this big upgrade. That's cool. They got amazing processor performance. That's cool. But now they've got some security and reliability concerns. Uh, it's all been fixed now uh, as far as the performance, but the privacy concern is still there. So is this just on, on the Mac itself, not on the iPhone, things like that? Uh, actually, the iPhones have done it for a long, long time, okay. since the very beginning. They've, they've had that walled garden. They've but they weren't the same affected thing. by this? Uh, they actually were, yeah. They were? Some, oh, okay. some iPads yeah. and iPhones were affected, too. Interesting. So can you see any advantage of actually going ahead and upgrading then to or uh, moving on to Big Star right now? Yeah, it's got like a sweet wallpaper. Ooh. Have you seen it? No. Yeah. Super dark mode. <laughs> yeah, super dark mode. It's extra Black dark. hole dark mode. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Hershey's special dark. <laughs> no, you know, Big Star, yeah. you, you'll want to upgrade to it eventually as you know some of the new features gain, uh, gain prevalence. But mm -hmm. really, Mac... It, Really, Big Sur was all about that M1 processor. Right. So if you want to go with the M1, you'll want Big Sur. You won't upgrade because it'll be on the device when you buy it. If you're not running an M1, if you're on a regular Intel processor, there's not a whole lot of huge new things in Big Sur that'll make you want to jump to it. They've started changing the UI to more closely match like an iPad. So you've got the new control center that's up in your system bar. You can bring down to quickly turn Wi-Fi on and off. And those are features that are really useful on a cell phone. Not so much on a laptop. So in, in my opinion, there's not a huge drive to get to Big Sur. So if you choose to wait, that's probably fine. Yeah, so if you're if you're like me and you enjoy the times where there's outages because uh, you just get to kick back, <laughs> go ahead and, and download that Big Sur now. And like we said, turn off the antivirus uh, right away, and you should be all set. <laughs> all like right. That. I think I nailed that one. <laughs> <laughs> Our next article here is uh, from the Yubico blog. And uh, it's getting a biometric security key right. So YubiKeys had biometrics before, right, Don? It, it, or is this the first foray into? This is the first one. A, a lot okay. of people think that, right? right. So a YubiKey, like, you know, I, I use these all the time. I've got one in my pocket. I can hold up as direct evidence. You can't really see it. It's so <laughs> tiny. So uh, the YubiKey, it's, you know, it's multi-factor authentication. It's an additional factor you can use when you authenticate. I log in with a username and a password, and then I plug this key in, and YubiKeys have always had a little copper pad that you would tap with your finger, and that would activate the key to authenticate you. And some people have assumed because you're touching it with your finger that it's biometrics, but it isn't. It's just a capacitive button, so it's just oh. looking for that that press to be there. So I thought it pricked your finger each time and took a, took a, a small blood sample. Blood sample. <laughs> it's like Gattaca. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I scrape skin cells from other people. And, uh, so in this case, though, they have released a Yubico or YubiKey that has an actual fingerprint reader built onto it. And this doesn't change the way the key works itself. It's still sending, you're using an algorithm to calculate a code and sending it in as a virtual keyboard. That's all the same. But you can't just tap your finger on it. You have to place your finger on it, and it will read your fingerprint to make sure that it is you before releasing the code out of the key. So it's an extra layer of security. And in a way, it's really like three-factor authentication at that point. You have your username and password. There's one. You have the code the key generates. But then in order to unlock the code, you have to use your fingerprint. So there's three factors that all go together to create that authentication mechanism. It's neat that yeah. they've also got two different form factors here, too, for USB-A and USB-C. Because that yeah. was probably one of the things with the MacBook where everything turned into USB-C and you couldn't actually use the regular YubiKey. So it's pretty cool. 
I was going to say something real quick as a, you know, interesting thing that we always talk about. And I know Don and, you know, Daniel and Wes and everybody talk about this in security and, and Ronnie is, you know, we always talk about the, the thing about authentication is about either one, what you know, which is your username and password, um, who you are, which is the biometric side of things. And then also what you have, which is now, like you just said, with that kind of like triple factor, uh, throwing that all in. And a lot of the companies that I've done uh, consulting and working with are always concerned about, you know, just how more difficult it is to keep track of all those things, as well as, you know, what kind of investment needs to be put in behind the scenes. Because we always think, oh, great, we buy all these devices, we do all these little things, but there's always those things behind the scenes that also have to take place for these things to actually work well. Yeah, and I know some people get worried about having a physical key because what if they lose it? What if they forget it when they go to work and so on? Uh, one neat thing about YubiKeys and, and, and a lot of these keys is that you can buy more than one. Now, the more you buy, the, the more you weaken your security, right? But uh, what I've done is I actually have two. And so one, I keep on my keychain because I'm not going to go anywhere without driving there. So I'll right. always have my keychain with me. And the other, I keep locked in my safe at home. Uh, so it, it's locked away. I know that it's protected. I, I know it's there if I ever need it, but it, but it's, it is there. So you can have a backup plan. And then a lot of people will set up some kind of recovery mechanism around it anyway. So you've got other, other options there. But these types of keys are so useful and they're really easy to get configured that if you haven't looked into uh, YubiKey or Google's Titan key or any of the open source ones that are out there, be sure to check it out because they're easy to implement and they, they do improve security. Now, I noticed in this article, it talks about that there's some type of uh, security trade-off that you also have to consider as well. They talk about the idea of artificial fingerprints mm -hmm. can still be used to impersonate that uh, as well. So yeah. it's not complete. So, you know, when you think about like the fingerprint reader on uh, on a Mac right. in the touch bar or the fingerprint reader, like I'm on a Lenovo, so mm -hmm. it's got an actual fingerprint reader on it. Um, so when you think about those, a lot of times they'll have temperature sensors in there. So they know that somebody didn't cut your finger off. Uh, they have <laughs> they have other things on there to check to make sure that it's an actual like you can see veins under the skin right. or whatever. You know, some of them are really, really advanced. Well, you can't do that in a YubiKey, right? It's just a little tiny piece of plastic and silicon, and it's not powered until you plug it into the USB port. So it's not really able to do a whole heck of a lot. So it's not the greatest fingerprint reader in the world, but it is better than just tapping and yeah, it automatically works. It's still an extra works. step, even yeah. if it's just a small hurdle, it's, right. it's at least a hurdle. Yep. Yeah, so we, we could play with that maybe and see if... I've, I remember on Mythbusters, they used to do like photocopying fingerprints and wrapping them around your finger to see if you could get by stuff. That'd be fun to... Fun to play with. I always, if if you've got one that has to do with the heat, you just keep the finger in your mouth um, that you've cut off before oh, you use it. Works. It keeps yeah. the yeah body temperature. Uh, I did do an experiment a few years ago. Um, obviously, I didn't cut my finger off, um, <laughs> but I took a rubber band and wrapped it around my finger a bunch of times. Uh, you know, so yeah. that it would go to sleep. You cut the blood flow, uh, and I was actually able to get it to the point where I wasn't able to use oh. the fingerprint reader. So the temperature doesn't have to be that far off. Okay. So I remember, there's only one. There's only one thing necessary. <laughs> <laughs> the weird things that we'll do to test something like this out. <laughs> I probably could have just stuck my finger in a bucket of ice. Now that I think about yeah. it. But... <laughs> like, so I hit it with a hammer just a bunch of times. Yeah. Really restricted the blood flow. All right. Our next article comes from bleepingcomputer.com. Ubuntu's GNOME desktop could be tricked into giving root access, which. Uh, I don't know much about this except that that's a problem um, <laughs> yes. from listening to Daniel over the years. So uh, is this something that they have already patched or is this a zero day? Uh, they have patched this now. Uh, so it's been responsibly disclosed. Uh, this is a bad one, though. Right. Um, it, now, it 
let me clarify at least a little bit here that uh, in order to take advantage of this, an attacker does have to have access to your computer. But they don't have to be an administrator. They can be a regular old user. And where this really wreaks havoc is at like colleges, universities, high schools where you have labs. So mm -hmm. imagine you had an Ubuntu lab and the students log in. Maybe it's with a guest account or some throwaway account that doesn't normally save settings. So they're able to log in as a regular user. And then in an almost trivial manner, they're able to go in and create a root user account and then log in with full administrative privileges to do whatever they want. And the way the process works is if you ever installed Linux, as part of the installation process, it asks you to create a first user account. So you provide a username and a password and it creates that account. That account is an administrator. Well, a security researcher found a way where they could trigger that wizard to run again after the system was already online. So you could go to a system that already had Ubuntu fully installed, that was up and running, you log in as a regular user, and then through manipulation of a few little bits of, of script files inside of your own directory, you could then trigger this wizard to run. And it would ask you to create a user, and it would create that user as an administrator, wow. as a root user. So then you're able to log in as that other user and do whatever you wanted. So it was really neat, really creative way of you know, triggering this installation wizard. Now, it did only affect Ubuntu because the wizard was something they had put in place to optimize the installation. Uh, Debian, which uh, Ubuntu is based on, is not affected by this. Okay. But on the Ubuntu side, it affected the latest and greatest, 20.10, 20.04, 18.04, 16.04. So all of the currently supported versions of Ubuntu were affected by this. Wow. Is this something wow. that the, the way that, that um, you know Linux works with different distros kind of you know, branching off of each other, could this have affected other distros that are related or have come after this? Uh, it could have. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the most popular forks of Ubuntu are forks because they've changed the window manager. And so they're not necessarily using GDM or GNOME or, or whatever. And so this attack might not work there. Uh, but if they are, if they are still using that same UI, like Kali Linux still is based on Ubuntu but uses the same UI, uh, then it very well could be vulnerable to this as well. Uh, in the case of Kali Linux, actually, I don't think it's vulnerable because it doesn't have that same startup wizard. It has a default user account already. Uh, so you know this wouldn't affect it. But it is certainly possible anytime you create a distro that's a fork of another distro, there's a chance that a vulnerability in one is also going to work in the other. And when you said requires access, you mean physical access. They need to be in front of that computer. Well, I mean, if they've enabled some kind of remote management to it, if you are allowing regular user accounts to remotely log into the system, they could probably exploit that. But the wizard launches on the local console. So to really be effective, you'd need to have access to the local machine. All right. Well, uh, physical pretty, access. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like the patch is out. So go ahead and yep. make sure that you are updated if you're running Ubuntu's GNOME. And then, yeah, check into it and see if it does affect affect you or your systems if you are on related um, distros there as well, because that's, yeah, that's definitely a scary one. Mm. All right, our next article comes from ArsTechnica.com. Microsoft engineer gets nine years for stealing $10 million from Microsoft. The defendant tried and failed to use Bitcoin to cover his tracks. Is it, was that a 10% discount on oh, the... Sorry. I ran the law and order thing <laughs> right as you were talking. What was that again? A uh, 10% discount. You know, he got nine years, but he stole 10 million. So that's, <laughs> no. I think that's right. Yeah. That's the e-commerce. checks out. <laughs> yeah. Visa actually took the other year. <laughs> that's the Microsoft employee discount. 
So, uh, you know, this is an interesting story. The the person in question, they, they say Microsoft software engineer. The person was actually a quality control tester. So I don't know if they were a full-blown engineer, but basically they were responsible for doing the uh, QA, QC, checking the web store to make sure everything was working properly. And there were numerous engineers like this, and they would go through and basically try and buy things from the Microsoft shop and go through the checkout process and look for regression bugs and all of that. Well, if you bought a physical item like a Microsoft Surface, the engineer's accounts would be able to process the whole transaction, but it wouldn't actually send them the item. You know, that's, that, hmm. that makes sense. They need to be able to test, but we don't want to mail out a bunch of inventory. Well, what this particular engineer found uh, through testing was that, yeah, you know, it wouldn't send them physical items, but if he ordered a gift card, it would actually issue him the gift card code. So if he bought a $50 gift card, which cost him nothing, right, because the engineers had their, their fake credit cards that they would use, it would then give him a real gift card. Wow. Now, that means he identified a weakness in the system that it was his job to <laughs> prevent. point out and, and prevent. Uh, but instead, over the course of three years, uh, 2016, 2017, 2018, he began buying gift cards and then he would turn around and sell them on eBay and other places uh, on the dark web. He would sell them, try to collect Bitcoin yeah. to convert them from Microsoft store money into some kind of money he could actually use. Uh, all said and done, he pulled in over $2.8 million in Microsoft <laughs> gift cards, uh, which is amazing. Uh, he then went on to buy uh, a Tesla, <laughs> a $1.6 million waterfront home. <laughs> I mean, there's so much stuff that he bought with this. He, this guy had to be buying gift cards left and right. Yeah. I don't know what the maximum currency is, but he went at it. So it, I thought it said $10 million, though, that he stole. But this is saying $2.8 million. Well, he probably got $10 million with the car, but then when they oh, turned it into two, yeah. Oh, it actually says that his yeah. proceeds were less than the value of the stolen credit because he had to sell at a steep discount. So Microsoft was out $10 million, He got $2.8 million. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. And so it says here he also used what's called a mixing service to to attempt to hide the Bitcoin origin. Can you explain yeah. that a little bit? Because I know, we, you know we've talked about that before, that there there's a record on the blockchain of every transaction, so you'd be able to trace some of that. Yeah. Mixing services are kind of a gray area on legality. Uh, what they're doing technically isn't illegal, but it can be used for money laundering, which is illegal. So the idea is that when you get a Bitcoin, its transaction, as it moves from wallet to wallet, that is logged in the immutable ledger that is fully visible to everyone in the world. Everybody can follow every dollar that moves from point A to point B to point C. They don't know who point A is. They don't know who point C is, but they can follow it. So if the FBI or whoever figures out who was involved in that transaction, they have a undisputable record of exactly where that money went and what it was used for. So mixing services try and break that cycle. And the way they usually do it is by taking Bitcoin and converting it to some other currency oh. and then bringing it back in mm -hmm. and putting it back into Bitcoin. So like if you convert it into Lira or uh, Euro or, or something like that and then bring that right back into another wallet, you've broken the chain. And now you can't follow the ledger in Bitcoin to figure out where that money came from or what's laundering. It is money laundering. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I can't think of another reason for that uh, type of service besides money laundering. Yeah. Well, so with a mixing service, uh, in theory, you're supposed to be mixing between Bitcoin and some other currency. It's mm -hmm. when you bring it back in, that's when you get to this gray area. And the mixing services, they say, well, 
we, we didn't know that's what was going on. We just thought they changed their mind and wanted to bring it back into Bitcoin. Uh, so that, that's where it becomes a gray area. It is usually used for nefarious pr purposes. Well, the, the funny thing here as well is he is ordered to pay $8.3 million in restitution, whereas, as we saw, he has much less than that in assets because yeah. of the way he sold these things. So I don't think they're going to see that money anytime soon. That will, uh, well, that, that's fun. That's, that's fun to see someone get caught. So the question is, uh, I'll put it to Chris. Chris, if I give you $10 million in Microsoft gift cards, yeah. <laughs> what would you do with that? I'm I'm going to use uh, let's see I've learned today mixing services dark <laughs> web Xbox. Just, you know all the good Xbox. healthy things that we should be doing right yeah can I can I somehow use that to buy the new Apple oh. M1 process now that was very buzzword heavy I, I should have worked in artificial intelligence somehow oh. yeah. Um, yeah big data can we can we yeah. throw big data in there somewhere yeah Maybe just you know, I bet you probably could have converted them into like Best Buy gift cards and then bought Apple devices with it. I'm pretty sure you yeah. could do that. It's got to be like a trading service where you're you're keeping the value of the card, but maybe just trading it with somebody else. I would I would hope. I don't know why I have this picture of him going to a Tesla dealership and handing him a stack of. <laughs> gift yeah, do you cards. take these? Do you take these? Microsoft cards. Yeah. No, the Tesla runs on Linux. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> You know, years ago, I wrote a, a white paper for Microsoft, and they sent me, as a thank you, uh, uh, $2,000 in Ooh. Best Buy gift cards. And it was four $500 gift cards. It was odd. And I was about to buy a TV anyway, so I went to Best Buy, and I bought this TV, and they asked how I was going to pay. And I said, oh, I've got gift cards. And when I broke out those four gift cards, they looked at me like it was the strangest thing that had ever <laughs> happened. And I didn't think about it at the time, but looking back at it, I was like, wow, I guess... That would that would look like money laundering, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. or, or or like these days, you'd think, oh, it's the scammer that always asks for me to send him, yeah. you know, yeah. here's Apple the gift cards, yeah. or yeah. here's the guy that finally got all those gift cards. <laughs> all right, that makes a lot of sense. Well, our last article is actually part of our fun segment that we haven't done in a long time. Uh, WTF. <laughs> my favorite intros there this article comes from krebs on security.com but i gotta say i saw this headline everywhere in the last <laughs> week because it's one of the best written headlines that you'll ever hear body found in canada identified as neo-nazi spam king so that's you want to talk about buzzwords that hits all like yep. the the news like hey i want to read that story so uh, just to clarify, we're not talking about the processed meat. Uh, this is because there was like a sausage king the, sausage the other day king. that we talked about in Russia. Killed with a crossbow. Killed with a crossbow in a sauna, was it? Yeah. Yeah. So and that story got better too. Like there, there were people tied up in his house. It. There's a lot more to that story, but um, what we we should do a deja news. Come back to that one as well. But this was a uh, a guy in Canada, a neo-Nazi spam king. So uh, Don, what can you tell us about this fun? Well, uh, the the most shocking part to me was. Canada Canada that was involved, right? Because Canadians are so nice and well-mannered. Yeah, it doesn't fit. Yeah, you don't see Mounties coming up on this. So uh, so this guy who uh, lived in Squamish, British Columbia, uh, is a pretty interesting character. So he's neo-Nazi, right? Um, uh, he's, what was his birth name? i got to find that real quick. Um, it didn't have Wolfgang uh, in it then. His I'm name assuming. was Andrew Britt Greenbaum. Uh, and so he was oh. of Jewish descent, but for some reason or another was a neo-Nazi, changed his name to Davis Wolfgang Hawk. And he made most of his money. He had quite <laughs> a bit of money 
by running a massive spam operation, an operation that was so big that way back, oh, that was almost like a joke. How big was it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that way back, uh, AOL actually successfully sued him in 2005 for $12.8 million because he was just spamming AOL users like crazy with uh, herbal enhancement drugs and things like that. Um, so, you know, he's, he's certainly had some, some crazy issues. He changed his identity a number of times and he had basically settled into this small town, uh, as, uh, what, what the town knew him as just some kind of vegan rock climber. Uh, yeah. but he was actually, yeah. this, it was opposite day. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Well, it says pro- yeah. politically progressive vegan named Jesse James is who they thought originally was, uh, was the person. What were you saying, Chris? I was going to say uh, vegans named Jesse James is always going to, you know, just make your brain have to think a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't believe any of this. Oh, is this the onion? Let's double check. No, Krebs on scary. Okay. So, you know, they, they basically found this body shot and burned in a, in a car. Uh, and so they identified him as this, this uh, rock climber that, you know, people in the, the neighborhood knew of. Uh, but they didn't realize that that was a fake identity. And it was three years later that they finally realized that, wait a minute, that was a fake identity. This was actually this other guy, the neo-Nazi spam king. So uh, this is an example, kind of like, um, oh, who's the guy from Mega? Kim.com, yeah. right? Where he's this like overboard personality. That's how this guy was. But I would say probably worse than Kim.com. Yeah, this is unusual because he's also apparently an author under a pseudonym, Jesse James. <laughs> and not only that, though, uh, uh, the way that it actually describes it uh, is that uh, it claims to merge the shady world of pickup artists with modern science. <laughs> His book sense. is titled Psychology of Seduction. God, I love this guy. Uh, he claimed I, to have like, a Ph.D. Yeah. And, uh, oh, in theoretical yeah. physics from Stanford. So there's that. And he was an officer in the Israeli Defense Force. According to this, well, so yeah. The, my question is always like, you know, you know, Stanford's got that, you know, that accelerator right there on the hill. So you know, maybe he just got too close to it. I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe no. this is a big smear campaign. Like this guy was actually he had inside information. He could have been the next Edward Snowden, uh, but now they just lump all this. Well, no, he's Canadian. Can't be. <laughs> so the the guy, uh, uh, subject of the book Spam Kings by Brian Williams. Brian Williams actually had a, a weird quote. I could definitely see this guy making someone mad at him that they'd want to kill him. <laughs> That's pretty severe. That's pretty angry. Real. This is not how I would have done it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, that's we're forgetting the main issues here. He he was killed most likely because he was found in a yeah. uh, in a burned out vehicle. Oh, oh, and he was shot. So yeah, yeah. he was yeah. he was killed. Well, yeah. I guess that's not somebody true, somebody went a little too far with their spam blocker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna go right to the source. I'm gonna ask this guy to stop sending me the emails. Yeah, it's a lot of it says uh, pornography and uh, herbal male enhancement supplements. So Enzyme. apparently that still pays. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Just take yeah. a moment to... I just, I just want to read the headline again. <laughs> Body found in Canada identified as neo-Nazi spam king. That's a great one. That's, I don't know if it... That might win headline of the year it, Yeah, I don't know if we'll read about... Well, I got that... The, the guy in the sauna, the, the yeah. Russian one was... Sausage Crossbow. king. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it, it's top two, though. They're, 
neck and neck there coming down to the end. Uh, hey, I want to let you know about a couple things coming up. Um, first of all, this one's really exciting. We've got a new promotion that's going to happen uh, at the end of November here uh, called the 12 Days of IT. So Don was talking about the YubiKey uh, recently. We're, we're actually going to be unboxing 12 different tech gadgets and then giving them away. So if you head over to uh, itpro.tv slash 12 days, you can register to win and you're just in the pool for all of those items. Then you can watch the unboxings as they come out starting November 30th every day there for for, uh, for 12 days, and then on December 11th, we're going to do a YouTube Live where we draw winners and give away all of those items. I'm not going to tell you what they all are yet, but you know, I did hint that the YubiKey is in there. But yeah, way to uh, go! You can see well, you can see some of the items on the table in, in the little promo video on that <laughs> landing page. You ruined page, everything. So. Yeah, I did. No, I teased it. <laughs> I teased it. It's not the one that takes your fingerprint, though. It's a different. One. Uh, now you're teasing them again. Well, I'm taking away what you thought yeah. you knew. <laughs> or disappointing them, one or the other. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You're winning, uh, I don't know, a, you know, a <laughs> gift card to Microsoft. That we're, we're just unboxing those. It's, we're opening the envelope is all we're doing. I've got a bunch of those. And Don's got all these $500 Best Buy gift cards we're going to be giving away. So <laughs> that part's not true. All right. Uh, also, we've got a webinar coming up, actually, uh, the day that this uh, podcast episode comes out called Powering the Operation of New Mobility, How AI, IoT, 5G, and the Cloud are Shaping the Future of Transportation. That's with Elena Farnsworth. Uh, and that is taking place, like I said, Thursday, November 19th, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, be sure to register for that at itpro.tv slash webinars. And if you're watching or listening to this after that, uh, don't worry. It'll still be available at the same site, itpro.tv slash webinars, where you can go and see the archive of that and all of the other past webinars that we have done as well. So check that out. And finally, while you're on that internet, head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado, and there you can uh, get a 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your personal prescription. Uh, prescription. I always say that. It's not a prescription. A doctor does not have to be involved for you to get itpro.tv, uh, <laughs> though I'm sure it's happened before. And, Although uh, if you're still learning after four hours, you should see a doctor. You should, yeah, you should stop, stop learning. That's too many episodes. Take a break. Wow. Get some water. Yeah, Ronnie hasn't been on, on the podcast in no, a while. No, not in a while. The appropriate There's level the has gone way down. So, But it's more appropriate uh, when you're on it and Daniel's not. I can say that <laughs> right off the bat. It's a much tamer episode. He would have he had a field day with the, uh, with the Canadian Spain yeah, King. Yeah, yeah. Poor guy. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much to Chris for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Absolutely, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, we'll definitely have you on again. Though we told that to Anthony when he was on when he first joined, and he hasn't been back on. So yeah, one day we'll we'll see, we'll see if that's actually true. Yeah, if Ronnie can't make it, if our backup backup can't make it, we'll <laughs> one day after the FCC complaints are finalized, <laughs> then uh... <laughs> okay. I'll send you a calendar invite, Chris. Well, thanks everybody for watching. We'll see you next week right here on Technado with Don Pizzette.